This is found only in Matthew, and Christ sums up for us here exactly what he's talking about as he talks about the final harvest. We're not going to be talking about wheat necessarily or agriculture. In fact, the main objective is of, of this message today, and I want you to listen very, very carefully, is to do a self-examination uh, about your salvation, about whether you are truly saved, whether you've been truly born again, whether you are truly a child of God, whether you have been truly converted, whether you are truly going to heaven or not, whether you've had a true salvation experience or not, because that is clearly what this is talking about here. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Let's take our Bibles, please, and turn to the Gospel of Matthew and the 13th chapter. Matthew chapter 13. I have a question to ask you. If you wanted to be mean to somebody or do somebody dirty, what would you do? Would you slash their tires or maybe key their car? Maybe you wouldn't be that mean. Would you put uh, gas on their lawn? <laughs> I hope not. But maybe you'd do something like um, egg their house, okay, or uh, TP the tree outside their house or something like that. Well, back in the Middle East during Bible times, if they wanted to do their neighbor dirty, they would mess with their crop. They would put bad seed amongst the good seed. And Christ tells a parable about that here in the message today. We're going to be talking about the final harvest, and it's taken from this, this parable of the tares and the wheat. And the story is found here in Matthew chapter 13. We pick it up in verse 24. It says, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while you gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat with them. But let... Both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now, Christ went on and he told another parable, and then he went on and he told another parable. And the disciples get done hearing all this, but they're still honed in on this one. They go from the lakeside of the Sea of Galilee, and they probably go to Peter's house. And they're really curious what he meant about this parable. So we skip down to verse number 36 and we pick it up. It says, Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil, the harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and 
burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There should be wailing and gnashing of teeth. What we're reading here, folks, is yet to happen, but will happen one day. It's, it's what I'm going to call today the final harvest, the final harvest. Let's pray before we talk about it. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you now for your word that you've preserved and, and that which tells us what is yet to come. We pray now that you would bless it as we open it, read it, look into it, and try to understand it. And Father, the truth from it today is so important. Please give to us open hearts and listening ears. Give us discernment and spiritual perception and help us to understand this now because for many here, there's so much writing on it. We ask now these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. On our local Christian radio station here, Heaven 88.7, there's a lot of good music. There's a song on there, though, that really is talking about this very passage here. You may have heard it. Are you the weeds or are you the wheat? And it's talking about what Christ is talking about here. You're either wheat, which is a picture of the born-again Christian, or you're a weed, or what Christ calls here a tear. It's an imitation. It's a counterfeit. It's synthetic. It looks much like the real thing, but it's not. And even in the Middle East, they had something called tares. We would call it darnel. But it looked exactly like wheat as they grew together. In fact, even in states like Kansas, they have this this weed, they call it cheat there. Maybe some of you from that area have heard of cheat. But in the Bible, you find a very agri-society. You find a very agricultural type land. Most people's lives were connected or tied to the land, to farming, to agriculture. Uh, Most people had a plot of land. There were those who lived in the villages and there were those who lived in the walled cities. But most people had plots or or acreage of land there. and, And that was actually for them, their livelihood. And so Jesus Christ used a lot of illustrations about farming and agriculture and things along those lines. And back here in in Matthew 13 and in verse 24, he starts one of uh, the parables here. There's seven found here in this this passage here. And really, this parable of the tares and the wheat is only found in the, the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew. But you find here seven parables, and they're talking about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. They're synonymous. And, and really what it, what it would be to us to just bring it down to easy terms would be the realm of Christianity, quote-unquote Christianity, because it contains some things that you would go, well, that's not Christianity, but I think you'll understand it from this parable here. He starts in verse 24 by saying, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field, But while men slept, and by the way, that expression is a sermon within itself. It's always bothered me. While men slept. Is it a description of really Christianity today? While men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, did not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while you gather up the tares, you rid up also the wheat with them. And that's because they look so much alike. Verse 30. Let both grow together until, notice the word, the harvest. Harvest. 
And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now, the apostles are going, huh? (laughs) What in the world are you talking about, Lord? Well, we don't have to wonder what he's talking about. I love the way the Bible interprets itself. Christ is going to tell us here exactly what he's talking about. We skip down to verse number 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, probably Peter's, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the terrors of the field. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the terrors are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil... The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. This is found only in Matthew, and Christ sums up for us here exactly what he's talking about as he talks about the final harvest. We're not going to be talking about wheat necessarily or agriculture. In fact, the main objective is of of this message today, and I want you to listen very, very carefully, is to do a self-examination about your salvation, about whether you are truly saved whether you've been truly born again, whether you are truly a child of God, whether you have been truly converted, whether you are truly going to heaven or not, whether you've had a true salvation experience or not, because that is clearly what this is talking about here. The Bible even tells us in other places to examine ourselves to be sure we're safe. We find in 2 Corinthians thirteen five it says, examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobate. Now, what's that talking about? It's talking about spiritually uh, cross-checking, cross-examining ourselves to be sure we are truly born again. And it's all right to do that. Examine yourselves, it says, whether you be in the faith. Ephesians 4 tells us there's only one faith. There's a lot of synthetic gospels out there, but there's only one authentic one, and there's only one faith, and we are to examine ourselves whether we be in the faith and to prove ourselves. Why? Well, Paul goes on, he says, Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobate. And he's talking about the fact that when we call on the Lord in repentance and faith, and we're born again spiritually, we are quickened or brought back to life spiritually by the Holy Spirit who comes to live in us at that time. Before that time, we are spiritually dormant, if you will. But at that time, we get saved, and Christ lives in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And so he says, Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates. Bible says if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. And it's talking about true salvation. But we need to examine ourselves. Are we truly saved? We read over in 2 Peter 1 verse 10, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election Sure, if you understand the Bible, you understand the terms that speak of coming to Christ and being born again. And we are told to make our calling and election sure. Now, if we find such commands in the Bible, then evidently God wants us to do that, and there is a need to do that. You see, we find over in Matthew chapter 7 that Christ describes that final judgment that we're looking at here, the great white throne judgment, when the lost will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, And they will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils. And in thy name do many wonderful works. Notice how, first of all, they call him Lord. We're not talking about Eastern religions or cults. We're talking about the realm of Christianity. 
And notice how easily it rolls off their tongue. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in thy name? There's the preachers. Did we not do mighty works in thy name? Those are those trying to work their way to heaven. And, and, and they even speak of miracles. And there are those who think because they've been part of a miracle under the name or the umbrella of God that they're a Christian. Christ goes on and he says, then will I say unto them, I never knew you. I never knew you. You were not saved. You were not a child of God. You were a tear amongst the wheat. Now, I want to say this. Only you and God know if you're truly saved or not. You know, people will say, well, I know so-and-so is saved. No, they don't know that. They don't know if so-and-so is saved. You don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if you're saved. See what I'm saying? Only you know if you are wheat or a weed. I will say this. In the last days, it's going to get scary. Because in the last days, the bar is going to be so low that anyone can get over it. You know what I mean? You know, pray a simple prayer and, and think you're a Christian. And bless God, I'm born again. Really? Are you sure of that? Or are there some who are slipping through the, the cracks? You know, there's a, uh, what I call a good old boy Christianity today. And, and, and really it's that, that, uh, that religion that, oh, I made a profession of faith and, and blankly blank, I'm a born again Christian. You know, that kind of thing. That good old boy Christianity. There's so much of that. Uh, in, in other parts of the country especially. Then there's this uh, new evangelical type of, of religion, of Christianity, that is, is hip and it's cool and it's in vogue and it's trendy. And there are a lot of people that are making professions of faith because that bar has been lowered so much. And then there's even solid churches where you have folks and they come to the services, they listen to the messages, they've made a profession of faith, they've been through the baptistry water, but they're not truly saved. Dr. Al Lacey, who's with the Lord now, died recently, said many years ago to me, I'll never forget this, he said, I, I fear there is a sad percentage of people in our churches that aren't really even truly born again. They have slipped through the cracks somehow. I mentioned Larry Clayton during the announcements a moment ago. I've heard him give his testimony before. He grew up in this, this uh, church. It was a Bible-preaching church, but not, not scriptural in some areas. And as a young lad, he, he heard the message and God really did convict his heart. And he walked forward kind of like with questions, what do I do now? And a deacon met him and shook his hand, said, that a boy, son. And before he knew it, he was in the baptistry getting baptized and not even understanding the plan of salvation and how to truly even be born again the Bible way. You know, there are a number of people who grow up in churches and and even good churches, but they make professions of faith at a really early age, and I've talked to them. In many cases, they don't really remember it. It's fuzzy to them at best, but their mom or their dad reassures them, oh, no, you've done that. I was there, and, and Junior goes, I, are you sure? I don't, no, no, you're saved. I would never give somebody a false assurance like that. I would never do that to a young person. With others, it might be... Uh, an emotional experience. Well, you know, they had some kind of an emotional experience and they know about it, but it's, it's not yet Bible salvation. Let me just say this at the outset. Salvation is of the Lord. We're told that in God's Word. And Christ tells us this in John six forty four. He said, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. And so you can make a profession of faith and somebody shake your hand or you can get baptized or you can make a profession you don't even remember or you can have a, an emotional experience, but was God in it? Did God draw you? 
Was it God's timing in your life? Because I'm afraid there are a number in in hell, even as I speak today, who made some profession as a child or who made some emotional profession of faith or walked forward and somebody shook their hand, they got baptized and they're going on that, but they never truly were converted. We read this over in 1 Corinthians 15 and in verse 1, Paul says, I declare unto you the gospel by which also you are saved if you keep in memory what I preached unto you unless you have believed in vain. Notice those tragic words, believed in vain. There are those who have believed in vain. You know, we have flu season just around the corner and, and you can get a flu shot and what you're really doing is having them put this, this dead virus into your system here that inoculates you from getting the real thing. And I'm afraid there are those walking around spiritually who have been inoculated with some dead virus that really has kept them from getting the real thing. And the Lord Jesus Christ is talking about that here in this parable of the tares and the wheat. And Satan is in the business of blending tares among the wheat. There are goats amongst the sheep. And it's always been that way. And until the final harvest with many, tragically, they won't even know it. So let's take a look at this parable here, this final harvest, and let's see some things from it. First of all, let's see what I call the symbolic characters. There's some symbolism used here that that the Lord Jesus Christ uses. He's talking about a sower. Who's that? He's talking about an enemy. Who's that? He's talking about the field. What's that? He's talking about wheat. He's talking about tares or weeds. He's talking about a harvest. He's talking about reapers. And, and, and you go, what's this all about? Well, he doesn't leave us to speculate. Notice as you look in verse number 37, he answered and said unto them, he that soweth the good seed is the son of man. So we have that settled right then and there. Jesus Christ is the sower. He goes on, the field is the world. All right, we're talking about the whole globe and people on it. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. There's the saved. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. There's the lost. Verse 39. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. No mystery there. The harvest is the end of the world. Okay. And the reapers are the angels. We find from this, folks, a number of things. The first is Not everyone is a child of God, are they? Not everyone is part of God's family, are they? I've heard it said, you've heard it said, we're all God's children. That's not true. We're all God's creation, yes. But we are not all God's children. Now, I know that sounds narrow. But you don't have to go any further than what we just saw Jesus Christ say here when he talked about the children of the world and the children of the devil. Notice in verse number 38, He says, the field is the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, that's the saved, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. Well, who's the wicked one? Well, he's the enemy mentioned in the very next verse, the devil. Do you know that Christ even refers to the religious crowd of his day in John chapter 6, or John 10 rather, as the children of the devil? And so not everybody is a child of God. And Jesus Christ made it clear. There are those who say it doesn't matter what religion you you belong to and and, uh, Eastern, whatever, we're all God's children. No, Jesus Christ made it very clear we are not all God's children. There are actually children of the devil even. We read in 1 John 3, 8, He that committeth sin is of the devil. For this purpose the Son of Man was manifest 
that he might destroy the works of the devil. The bad news is he that committed sin is of the devil. The good news is Christ came to this earth to die on the cross to destroy the works of the devil. But the point is the devil is alive and well today. The devil is at work in the world today. There are so many people and they see tragedy in this world and they, they blame God. They get bitter at God. Uh, they lose a loved one or, or they see violence and, and uh, they see uh, terrorism and war and all this. And, and they say, if, if, if there is a God, why is he allowing this to go on? Well, God's not behind the sin in this world. Man is. The devil is. We read this in James 1.13. It says, God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. You know, it's funny. There are a number of people that have no time for God most of the time. But when the wheels fall off in their life, when things go wrong right away, they point a finger at God. Well, God's not behind the evil. He cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So we see here, first of all, these symbolic characters, the sower, the enemy, the field, the wheat, the tares, the reapers, and, and the harvest, all that. But secondly, we see the spiritual confusion, the spiritual confusion. Here it is. Both the tares and the wheat are planted together. They progress together. They grow alongside each other, side by side, and even look the same. Physically, you cannot tell them apart. You know, let's just say um, you work at Walmart and there are, say, hundreds of employees, or even, let's just say, a hundred in the local Walmart store here. And you have an employee picture taken together. And the photographer says to all of you, smile. So there you are as a Christian, and you're standing with 99 other people, and you're all smiling together. And you give somebody the picture afterwards, and you say, pick out the born-again Christian here. How would you do it? I mean, they're all smiling. They really all look the same. It, it would be hard to detect May I say that wheat and tares physically <laughs> look the same, don't they? I mean, you're around them all week long. They're out there, and you look like they do. Yet there are some who are saved. There are some who are lost. There are some who are tares. They are, there are some who are wheat. The difference is, folks, on the inside, on the inside. If you get up to the head of the wheat and you break it open, you find kernels there, and those little kernels will bring forth fruit. If you get up to the head of a, a, a tear or, or a cheat, as it's called in Kansas, you find that black darnel there. And the only way you can tell them apart is from what is on the inside and how, it, how true that is with the born-again Christian. Do you have Christ living on the inside of you? You know, something else about darnel or rye and true wheat is they do look different at harvest time. That's why the farmer said, no, no, let them grow up together and then we'll be able to tell them apart. What's different about them at harvest time? Well, the black darnel in the head of the tear is real light. And, and so they grow up together and the tear just stays erect until it's full grown. Whereas the wheat grows up and the kernels inside get heavy and cause the head of the true wheat to bend over. That's how they could tell them apart. Well, I find a wonderful picture there of a born-again Christian. That head is bent over. It speaks of humility. It takes humility in order to be saved. In fact, Christ said, except you humble yourself as a child, you cannot be born again. There's that, that bowing of the head or that bowing of the knee. There is that difference on the inside of the wheat versus the tear. And then the lost in pride will not bow the head to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Well, ultimately, in the, in the Middle East, those tares grow up, and they get real dry. 
And they'll gather them together. And actually, the only thing they're, they're any good for is to burn, to get heat from or cook with. But the, the, the fruit inside that darnel is, is, is noxious. It's, it's uh, poisonous. You can get dizzy from eating it. But the wheat they gather into the barn, which is a picture of heaven. And so you get the picture here with Christ. They take the tares, they burn them. That's a picture of hell. They put the wheat into the barn. That's a picture of heaven. And the implication is clear. When life has run its course, there's only two possible destinations. There's not a limbo. There's not a purgatory. There's not a stop-off place to be purified. It's either heaven or it's hell. It's either burned in the fire or it's gathered into the barn. And you need to be aware that there are some things that, that fool people into thinking they're truly a Christian. Sometimes it's their good works. But the Bible says it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy that He saves us. And you can even afterwards do good works, but it's a poor substitute for salvation. Uh, it's a poor substitute for truly being born again. You can make a profession of faith. You can serve in a church. You can get busy even and not truly be saved. So beware of the good works. Beware, secondly, of the good doctrine. And let me explain that. You can believe the truth. You can embrace orthodoxy. You can be part of a scriptural New Testament church. You can know the Bible. You can sit under preaching, but not truly be saved in some cases. Beware of the good doctrine. You say, well, I'm part of something where the doctrine is right. That's all well and fine, but are you truly saved? Thirdly, let me just say, beware of being reinforced by good people. You know, they might mean well, and and, and you might wonder if, well, I'm saved or not, and they say, oh, no, no, you are. I spoke a moment ago about parents who tell their children who can't even remember their profession of faith, no, no, I was there, and you did this and that, and you're fine. I've always been of the persuasion, if you've been truly saved, you'd never forget it. You'd certainly remember it. So beware of reinforcement from good people, and then also... Beware of even a good feeling. I've seen people make profession of faith, and the devil will fool them with a good feeling. Feeling's the opposite of faith. The just shall live by faith. We're saved by grace through faith. And so you might have even had a feeling follow, but don't base your profession of faith on the feeling. Are you the wheat or are you a tear? We see the spiritual confusion. But thirdly, we see the sad consequences. There's a well-known evangelist years ago, and he, he, he used to hold crusades and have thousands saved. And, and he made the statement one time. He said, you know, we can talk about the regions beyond, and certainly they need the gospel. But he said, perhaps the greatest mission field are the roles of our churches, our Bible-believing churches. He said at his crusade, 70% of those who walk forward and make professions of faith come from Bible-believing churches. 70%. If you can imagine that. You know, there are a number who will stand before Christ, and I described it a moment ago, and talk about all the things that certainly they did to merit heaven. We read in Matthew 7, verse 23, Christ says, And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, that work iniquity. He says, I never knew you. By the way, there's no such thing as losing your salvation. He says, I never knew you. You didn't have it and lose it, and then have it and lose it again. He said, I never knew you. You never had it. And then he said, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Notice the words, I never knew you. Now, I know about the president. I I know about famous athletes. I know about maybe celebrities. But I don't know them. 
There is a difference between knowing about Jesus Christ and really knowing him and him knowing you. I'm thinking of a missionary right now who who thought he was saved, went through Bible college, got ordained, went to a Latino country, learned Spanish, if you can imagine, and served there for a long time before he realized he wasn't even saved. He had made a profession back in in high school, and I think, as it were, he was at some party, and uh, it was out in, in near the ocean, and he fell over a cliff and, and uh, nearly died, but survived that, and had some kind of emotional experience that followed that with a profession of faith, but had never truly been born again. I'm thinking of a fella who felt he was saved, went through Bible college, got ordained, pastored for years in this state, a Scripture New Testament Baptist church. But he got saved at a family camp, and I was at that family camp. Of course, everybody's going, wow, the preacher was lost. Yeah, the preacher was lost. I'm thinking of of probably one of the greatest preachers I know right now, one of the greatest missionaries I know, certainly one of the top three, who for many years uh, was serving as a pastor, and his wife wasn't even saved. She got saved afterwards. Now, I don't say all this so that that uh, you would doubt. I'm not here to make you doubt. I'm just here to, to make a point from the passage and the parable that Christ told here that there can be tares amongst the wheat. And, and if a person has never realized that nor addressed that, there's going to be some sad consequences. Notice as we pick it up here in Matthew 13, in verse number 39, Christ goes on, he says, the enemy that sowed them, this bad seed is the devil, the harvest is the end of the world, And the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. He's describing here hell. You know, hell's not a place of, of partying, and hell's not a place of, of camaraderie and, and fellowship and, and, and playing cards with your buddies and, and shaking hands, and you've heard all that as I have. I'll be so busy shaking hands with all my friends, I won't notice all that. No, it is eternal darkness. It is eternal torment. It is eternal falling, if you can imagine that. Eternal fire, no rest. I wouldn't wish my worst enemy there for a second. There is this place called hell. There are sad consequences to be in a tear. We see, fourthly and finally, after the symbolic characters, the spiritual confusion, the sad consequences, the Savior's conclusion. The Savior's conclusion. Will everyone go to heaven? Nope. Will everyone that goes to church go to heaven? No. Will everyone who attends Fargo Baptist Church go to heaven? I sure wish that was the case. May I say that if the rapture occurred right now, would this room be empty? Would this room be empty? I wish it would be. I'm afraid it's unlikely. You know, it's a simple parable. It's a profound truth. You know that that wheat and true Christians, they have a lot in common. Wheat has a very shallow root system if you know anything about it. You know, there are things that grow. There are, there are mighty oaks, and the taproot will be as deep into the ground as the highest limb is up in the air. And they grow down deep into the earth. But not wheat. Wheat has a very shallow root system. It's easily uh, pulled up. It's, it's easily uprooted. There's a lot of commonalities between wheat and, 
and Christians, or at least there should be. Are we like that? Are are, are our roots really kind of shallow into this earth? I hope they are. I I hope we don't have our tentacles so deep down to this earth that uh, when we're summoned to the sky, God's got to reach down and, you know, yank us out of the earth because we're so entrenched with it. God help us to have a loose grip on this earth. You know, the bottom line is it won't matter when God calls us home if we have a lot of money or have a lot of things, will it? It it won't matter if if we have a big name and and, uh, a lot of fame. Only one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. All that will matter is what we've done for the Lord Jesus Christ when we're summoned to the sky. And it's going to be in the twinkling of an eye and we're going to leave some things behind. So let's be like the wheat and have this shallow root system. Something else about wheat is it doesn't last very long. If you think about it, uh, it, it's, it's sown and then it, it grows and then it ripens and it produces fruit and it passes off the scene. And that's really a picture of what we ought to be. We're, we're born in this world, we, we get saved, we grow, we ripen, we bear fruit, and then we pass off the scene. I mentioned also that wheat bends as it grows, as it matures. And, and honestly, if we are truly saved, we ought to be ditching that pride. We ought to be growing in humility We ought to be bending and stooping lower and lower because we're really here today and we're gone tomorrow. You know, one day uh, I will preach my last sermon. This could be the last one. I don't know that. But one day I will preach my last sermon. I'll be off to another world. There's a lot of things we're going to do for the last time. One day you're going to get up for the very last time. One day you're going to brush your teeth for the very last time. You're going to shave for the very last time. You're going to shower for the very last time. You're going to make your bed for the very last time. It'll be the last time you do that. You'll eat your last meal. You might um, sing your last hymn. You might listen to your last sermon. We all have all these last things coming one day. Uh, all these last things because the end is imminent. And we're going to either depart this world by way of death. They'll carry us out of here in a, a casket or the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return. The question is, are we ready? God help us not to have a counterfeit Christianity, a synthetic Christianity, but an authentic one. God help us to be ready for that final harvest. We find here the Savior's conclusion. He says in verse number 38, The field is a world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil, the harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Christ is teaching a very important lesson. You know, you can hang around Christians and not be a Christian. You can sing with Christians and not be a Christian. You can act like a Christian and not be a Christian. You can be even as good as other Christians. But that's not the barometer. That's not it at all. Maybe you've walked an aisle. Maybe you've said a sinner's prayer. Maybe you've uh, become a baptized member of a, of a New Testament church. Maybe you read your Bible. You pray. You might even teach. But are you truly born again? Am I truly born again? Have we had a time in our lives when we realize we are sinners, that sin is a transgression of the law, that we are condemned by the law, that we cannot work our way to heaven? And that is why Jesus Christ came to this earth and shed blood on a cross to pay for our sins. God knows who's real today, and sadly there are some who will be bound, they'll be bundled, they'll be burned as tares. I don't know if God's speaking to you about that. It's not my place to determine that. 
It's really your place to determine that. My place is to just teach the truth. Uh, and by the way, I, we're not broken records on this. I know it's possible to talk about this all the time, um, but it's up to God. We're to be salt and we're to be light as born-again Christians and to leave the results up to God. I know as a, a child of God, God wants to use my hands and my heart and, and my mouth, and we're to be sowers like the Lord. If you're here today and you are saved, we find this admonition. In Psalm 126.6, it says, He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. That's the soul winner. That is the witness. The time is now. The harvest is ripening. Christ told us before he left these words in Acts 1.8. He said, Ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. And so the time is now. We find this in 2 Timothy 2.25. It tells us as Christians in meekness to instruct those that oppose themselves if God, peradventure perhaps, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. There are those who are opposing themselves out there. Those you talk to Christ about and they say, keep it to yourself. I'm fine. I don't want to hear any of that stuff. And only God perhaps can grant them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. I'm thinking of a a preacher right now. I just got a a letter from him this last week. Tom Williams, he's up in his mid-70s and and, uh, he was talking about being in a, a meeting in Michigan here in the last couple of weeks. And he said his wife Janine had this awful headache. It made her sick to her stomach. So she went back to the motel room and while she was there laying down, the maid knocked on the door and came in to clean and she started to witness to the maid even when she wasn't feeling well. Well, the, the maid was actually in a very uh, searching time of her life but she had to work, and so she, she said, I need to talk to you. And she went back, and she finished her other room. She punched out later on the day. She came back, and Mrs. Williams spent some time with her, and she got saved. And she said, praise God for a headache. She was busy doing what this verse talks about, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God perhaps will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Well, let's sum it up here. Christ had been teaching by the lake of Nesaret. He uh, had been talking about seven parables and all. He uh, gives him the parable of the sower, by the way, in this chapter and four types of professions of faith. And, 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 and perhaps the apostles are thinking, wow, there's, there's a real line drawn, an obvious distinction between the believers and the unbelievers. Kind of like the Jews and the Gentiles, there's this separation. And Christ goes on to say, no. They're really blended together, and it's not always obvious. The apostles would find out it's not always obvious. There would be shouts of Hosanna as Christ comes into Jerusalem in a matter of time, and then there would be the the spewing condemnation that would follow from the same mouths. There would be those who initially were warm to the response, and then they, they would throw off the faith and follow Christ no more. In John chapter 6. And, and, and Christ was trying to say, fellas, I'm preparing you for the mystery of iniquity, for the malice of Satan, how this thing really works. God's work on earth has always been opposed and hindered with tireless persecution and pressure. And there are going to be those who resist the work of God. Now, I don't think the tares here refer to the rank and file lost unbelievers in general. But it seems to refer to a special class of religious people who are mingling amongst the truly saved, the wheat, and they're not saved. They're hard to detect. 
And they're such a clever counterfeit of the devil that you cannot distinguish between them so much so that Christ says in, in, in verse 30, they've got to grow together. And we won't know until the end. This has gone on for millenniums. The ultimate end is sad, as you read it in verse 41 and 2, that the Son of Man shall send forth his angels and he shall gather out of his kingdom all them that offend and them which do iniquity and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. And Christ says there should be wailing and gnashing of teeth. What a sad end. It speaks here of hell. And poets like Dante and and Milton have tried in vain to describe this place. Artists have tried in vain to paint this place. Preachers have tried in vain to talk about and preach about this place. It's, it's unfathomable. It really is. But it's the end result of those who die without Christ. I like the way Christ ends, however. He says in verse 43, Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. And then he gives us this admonition. Who have ears to hear, let him hear. We'd do well to take heed. We'd be wise to be ready for that final harvest. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.